This is Melissa, and it is Thursday, the 26th of January, 2023, and this is Real History, and today we've got Faith from Canada. Hello, Faith. Hi, Melissa. <laughs> Hi, Weston. Uh, he's left the, Weston has left the building. <laughs> He's he's left us on our own here. He, he said, oh boy! Yeah, this is how you press record. I'm out of here, <laughs> and hope the best. That's right. So, one of the things that I've I realized that I've never asked you, uh, and and that is how you discovered the talks of Alan Watt. How you came to find his talks and start listening and reading his material. And so I thought that would be just a, a good question to dive in with. Um, you know, it's amazing because everything really started in, I would say, 2006. Um, I, I used to shop at Goodness Me in Hamilton. And there's a young man working there. His name was Andrew. And, you know, just in conversating and because you see the same people all the time. Uh, we just started talking, and uh, he introduced this whole awakening <laughs> to me. Um, one of the gentlemen, the preachers at, at the church I used to go to, my pastor's brother-in-law, had come, and he introduced about, you know, 9-11 and how questionable it was and what was behind it all, uh, the changes to government after that and to all the countries. So Andrew came and expounded on that. He gave me... Uh, he got introduced me into or to um, the documentaries. Oh God, Century of Change. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of those type documentaries. So I started searching and eating, and then because of that, I started. You know, through those movies, you get to hear all the uh, what do you call it, conspiracy theory mm -hmm. <laughs> hosts and shows. So I ended up on the Alex Jones, um, and then one of the talks uh, he had uh, Alan as a guest. And I remember at that time, I was just getting fed up with Alex just because it was just theater. I'm sorry mm -hmm. to say, honest to goodness, it was theater. And at the time, they were introducing those x-rays in the airports. Right. And he was encouraging people to go, go naked, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, dude, what <laughs> are you doing? I'm like, Whoa, this dude is like, no, it's just this is wrong. And then I heard Alan. And Alan came on, and he was so calm. And everything he said just resounded. So I looked him up. And ever since then, I've been listening to Alan. And right. I reached out to you guys, actually. Um, and I just kind of meant, I just asked him a question. What do you think about Alex Jones? And I explained why. Mm -hmm. And he, yeah, you replied very, very well. You didn't run him down. But you just basically said, trust your instinct. <laughs> and well, I've, been with you guys. I've been with you ever since. I, I, I mean, that is, that is the thing. It's it, honestly... People would often ask Alan what what he thought of so and so, so mm -hmm. it, you know this won't just be about Alex, but you know what what do you think of so and so? And Alan would say, well, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because that's really that's the important thing is what do you think? Yes, and I've I've learned that the hard way myself is sometimes you want to give somebody a shortcut or say, uh, here, I'll just break this down for you really, really quickly. And these, mm -hmm. when you do it that way, you open up a door for people to become so angry because you've answered questions that A, they should have answered for themselves and, and mm -hmm. B, you may have delivered the answer for them before they were ready to hear it. True. So that was the, you know, sometimes people would say about Alan, well, you're repetitive. I mean, if I had a nickel for every time I heard, you know, Carl Quigley or what, you know, Bertrand Russell or whatever, I'd be very, very rich. But, yes. uh, you know, his approach was, you know, break it down, make it easy for people to take it in a little bit at a time, repetition, repetition. And repetition works. It absolutely works. And uh, again, um, listening to Alan, it was more than just about the times we're living in. Really, it has led me to truth uh, and the consciousness that he talks about. I mean, I'm not fully there yet, but at least I'm awake enough to realize that this uh, conspiracy that we've been, we've all been born into and made to believe it's truth is really a lie. 
Mm-hmm. And but the truth lies within each of us as if we're seeking it. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so I thank I thank Alan. I thank you. Uh just you gave up your lives for us and my goodness. And some people you may never, never even make connection contact with here, but one day you'll know the breadth of of your reach with everything you've done. So well, thank you. Thank you're you're welcome. Uh, they're, they're his words, not mine. I was just blessed to be able to spend so much time with him. Yes, very blessed. Um, so one of the things, though, that I, I, I think a little tiny bit of background, just how, how you got to Canada really quickly, because I want to go back to your childhood, but I want to hear some of the, the nitty gritty stories. So <laughs> tell everybody how you got to Canada, where you're from and how long you were there. And I, I want to hear that, you know, that big story first. <laughs> so uh, we had to leave Uganda because it was just the tail end. Um, we were born at the tail end of Idi Amin, uh, mm-hmm. just before Museveni came in. Or was it Mus? No, no. Maybe Museveni was already in. No, I think Museveni was already in. He was, because you know how we kind of flip flopped between Museveni and oh God, Obote. Mm-hmm. Or was it one of them was in? I think it was Obote because they flip flopped a little bit there. And we, so my mom was a uh, head of midwifery at Kampala's one of Kampala's biggest hospitals. And uh, anyone who was educated and anyone they knew opposed the government they were killing them. Uh, mm. They would come into your homes at night and like literally just take you, take the husband, shoot the family and shoot him right there. You're done. Wow. Anyone they felt with a threat. Yeah, this is how it is in uh, third world countries. You know, uh, here in Canada, anyway, we'll get to Canada. But nonetheless, because of that, my mom, she had to leave. Uh, so she, she got a job in Kenya uh, but she had to leave us for about a year with my aunt and uncle just to go get set up, get settled, and, and prepare for us to come. So it was my older sister, myself, my brother, and my little sister, my judge, and my grandmother. So we ended up going to Tumutumu in Kenya. And I think mom was there, oh, God, maybe a couple of years. So at the time, I was three. Mm-hmm. So we were there for a couple of years, yes, because I remember I started primary or kindergarten in Fika, which is just outside of Nairobi. Mm-hmm. So we spent seven years in Kenya, and because we came into Kenya as refugees, we at that time we weren't allowed to own land. We would have had problems going to university. It was, I mean, you're treated like a second class, worse than a second class citizen. Mm-hmm. And you know they'd call us all kinds of names. <laughs> it was horrible. And these are black people, so black Americans. You need to know, Africa is nothing like what you all people think. It's nothing like that. Anyhow, so then when, but when we were in Tumutumu, my mom met uh, Uncle John and Auntie Joyce who'd come from BC to do a sabbatical at the hospital there. And they became very good friends because uh, my mom studied in England and she spent quite a few years living in England. And they just had a lot in common and they used to love spending time together. We'd go to their house, they'd come up to ours. So it was really, it was nice. And so they kept telling my mom, because they understood the, what was going on in Kenya, they kept encouraging her, bring the children to Canada. You've got to bring the children to Canada. You've got no future here. Um, you know, it's just, you can't really go back to Uganda either. Bring them to Canada. It's a great opportunity, great country. They will have a good life. So it took her, I guess, five years to make that decision. So when I was 10, uh, we left Kenya. Uh, she was, well, she tried for over a year and a half. But the Canadian government, there was the, the ambassador or the, I forgot what he was, the immigration officer, I guess, appointed to Nairobi, kept trying to block her. She had offers. She had uh, jobs in Fort McMurray. She had jobs all over, like especially out in uh, out west. And she lost them all because this man kept delaying her. But the last time she got a job in Beggarville, Alberta, and that's, I don't know if he was replaced or what had happened. Uh, I think Auntie and Uncle John made some noise here in Canada, and then they gave my mom clearance. So we came in August, and uh, the hospital was great to us, set us up in the nurse, nurse's convent or nun's convent, and uh, they helped us to find uh, a place, like an apartment. We spent, I think, six to eight years in Vegreville, 
And then my mom, she's a registered nurse in England, but she wanted to get her RN. So we ended up moving to Cornwall and then she got her RN and then we ended up in Hamilton. So that's how we came here. Mm-hmm. So by the time you got to Hamilton and went through this process, you were actually at this um, point an adult. A young adult. Yeah, I was yeah. 18, 19. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we finished high school in Cornwall. Mm-hmm. Now, you're, this, the story of the church where you settled into oh. in Hamilton, had you, yeah. a, had you actually become involved in this church in, in Alberta? No, no, no. no. Uh, I got involved in that church after I finished uh, college. Okay. So I took a year uh, of fashion design. My mom said, nope, you need a proper education. So I took a year off, and then I, I went back to just one of those technical colleges. Mm-hmm. And when I finished, I was looking for work. So through the agency, they set us up uh, with a job at a call center, and I met this lady, Sharon. And that's how I was going to this little other little church, and I met Sharon, and that's how I got in contact with this church. Okay. And, and how... How long did you say that you were going to? I think 25 years. It was a long time. <laughs> it was a long time. Okay. And it was good, Melissa. You know, I needed it. I needed the structure. I needed the guidance. I needed the order. And it helped me to get my life together. And it helped me become a proper, uh, outstanding, good standing young woman. And it, it really did help. And, uh, but like I said, it just fell apart. Uh, in 2021. Did, did you um, did you feel uh, as an African going into Canada? I mean, did you feel that your life was out of control in any way? Because, or it was everything was good. It was just you had a lot of need, um, need for. Stru- I'm trying to understand why you needed that structure at that you time. Know what, life, yeah, life was it was a it was difficult because you you come when you're so young. And it is such a huge change, a huge change. And everything is it's almost like turning your world right side up, upside down. Mm-hmm. It's just parallel. It was just opposites. Um, but no, it was more through the teenage years, the tumultuous teenage years, um, you know, battling bulimia and then mm. just self-esteem issues and, you know, partying and the wild kind of living and mm-hmm. your life just in the depression really from stemming from the bulimia, um, the lack of vision and, and just a lot of things that just kind of cling on through life. And, uh, but even before I went to that church, really, cause my brother, he'd moved back to Alberta. He didn't like Ontario. So he stayed one year with us in Cornwall and then he moved back and he lived with a Christian family. So that really, really defined his life and helped him so much. And, uh, he'd come back in the summers and when I'd gone to college, you know, getting on, getting in with the wrong crowd, the partying, all that nonsense. And he just came in and told me, Faith, <laughs> you're not living right. Your life mm-hmm. is a mess. You need to like, you know, you need the Lord. You need to get rid of that. So he just kept praying for me. You know, I, I, I just, oh, Ernest, leave me alone. What's that nonsense? You know, but he kept praying for me. So the one night, uh, we were waiting to go get my mom and just, I don't know, honestly, to this day, Melissa, I cannot explain to you what happened. But all the voices that used to just, in my mind, all the negativity, all the darkness, they just stopped. And the darkness lifted. And then I just heard the one voice and I knew. And I said, from that day, you know, the bulimia stopped, everything changed. And I attributed it to church, because <laughs> what else? Mm-hmm. And then that's how the whole seeking the Lord started. And again, because my brother had prayed for me and he loved me. So... In this, well, that's wonderful that you have a loving and caring brother. That's that's great. In this period, though, around 2006, you're already at the church. You've conquered yes. the bulimia. Yes. Your life is on the right track. Yes. And you're introduced to this man, Andrew, who is mm-hmm. showing you that reality is not as it was presented to you. Yes. Okay. Then you started listening to Alan. Yes. And you were listening to him for a while, but I, I think what is interesting, what I want to hear is, is when you ordered the books and particularly the ancient religion, ancient history okay. interviews, because I, your reaction to this is just, it's kind of precious. And I, 
I want <laughs> everyone to hear it. <laughs> so what happened in 20... You know, it's amazing. I had ordered the CD, the first CD mm-hmm. in the ancient religions. Because I'd been... I'd, whenever I'd listen to Alan, I'd also go back. I'd start... I started way at the bottom from his mm-hmm. first shows. And I worked my way through each... Um, each uh, guest appearance mm-hmm. and then I hit the talks with what's her name um, Jackie Petru yes thank you so and those took me to a different level <laughs> and it was just there was so much in, in there and then they'd mentioned that he had this the two CDs in the books so uh, years ago my gosh I think in 20, 20 2020 I'd ordered the first one and no no I ordered the I think I ordered the book and the, the CD and I remember sitting there thinking, reading the book and looking back, of course, in retrospect, I had no idea what I was reading. But this CD, I tried listening to that CD and I tried and I tried because remember this time I was still in church and it's just, Melissa, it would grate, it would grate against everything and I'd have to stop. I never got past, I think, the first two or three uh, talks with Jackie on the first CD. And this just, was this was 2020. Yeah, but I think the CD I bought in 2019. I think I got the CD before the book. But I could never get past the third talk. I just couldn't. Because it would grate, right? It was so opposite of everything. What you you had said to me, maybe in an email or another conversation, was that the way that Alan presented things, it felt counter to Christianity as you knew it. Completely. Completely, because really he was turning my life upside or yeah upside uh, upside right or I forgot how I said it, but turning it the right way up. And what did you do with the disc? I threw it out. (laughs) (laughs) I and you know what? I threw it out in 2021, just before everything blew up. Mm -hmm. I just I tried, Melissa. Oh my goodness, I tried, but for some reason I I kept the book. Mm-hmm. You know, because at that time it was uh, spring. I just moved to Delhi. It was May, May of 2021. And I kept trying, but I just, and I said, okay, let me just keep the book and I'll just keep it away and whatever. So then August, let's go, let's fast forward well, to August. Let, just, I'll interject here for a moment. Okay. So you, all of this time, even before mm-hmm. you ordered those discs, which really hammered home a kind of a conflict between what Alan was saying and your own uh, uh, training or thinking about Christianity, you were still listening to him. Oh, yeah, faithfully. And he might, from time to time, say something that went counter to what you... (laughs) How did did you cope with that? I said, oh, Lord, I wish Alan wouldn't say those things because he's not a preacher. Honest to God, no word of a lie. And I said, and I just want to skip over it. <laughs> yes, no. I said, Lord, help him not. You know, that's just not his office. That's, you know, he's not a preacher. Help him. He shouldn't say those things. You know, he should stick to what he knows. <laughs> All right. Well, so you, hear. you, Alan, Alan had actually already passed away when you had the confrontation yes. with the discs. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so he's yeah. gone, and now you're throwing the disc out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was gone. He was gone April 2021, and Mar- this is in March, actually. But, yeah. Oh, March. So yes, March fourth. Okay. Yeah, and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's just because again the conditioning, Melissa. Mm-hmm. You know the conditioning, and at that time I had that huge move all the way out here. I was starting the business, so you know sometimes when you're going through. A little bit of stress, but you don't realize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> then, yeah. So I did that, and then so let's fast. Is it okay if I fast forward to absolutely? August? Yes. Okay. So now this is the third week, third Sunday in August, and the pastor says that you know he has an announcement to make, and he says you know uh, the government is uh, they're talking about mandating that if you don't have two shots, you can't go into gatherings, and he says well as a church, as a leadership, we've decided that if you don't have two shots that you cannot attend in in church service. But of course, a lot of us were already online. So, and I'm living, what, an hour, an hour and a half away. And I thought, okay, that's fine, whatever. So then my girlfriend has a couple of conversations. The first convo, uh, basically just, you know, expressing herself that, uh, you know, if people don't want the shot and how dangerous it is, da, 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 da. 
then the next thing, the next Sunday, the deacon, the head deacon's like, oh, well, you know, we don't want uh, division and we don't want people to, like, feel pressured either way. So, you know, we're not going to have that conversation. We're just going to go on as we are. But it was said in a way, basically, back off. <laughs> so mm-hmm. then the next Sunday after that, then another time, I think the following week, she had another conversation, uh, basically, de- again, defending and saying that if why should people be forced? If they don't want it, it has nothing to do with our spiritual uh, well-being. Furthermore, you know, there are questions about this shot and da-da-da. Oh, this time they came hard and heavy, straight from the top, and it didn't stop for at least a month and a half. The abuse, oh, these people who think that they know, the goats, trust your government, trust your doctor, trust your scientists. Oh, it was, I remember the one time I heard it, and Melissa, I just, it, uh, I can't even explain, but it, it just, it was so disturbing. I, I could not listen anymore to the service. And it was, I came back home and I remember talking to one of our other girlfriends, Sheila, and her and I are talking, I just broke down. I couldn't believe it. Here's this man that, you know, I even called dad. I'd known for all these years. And then just the abuse and the hatred, mm-hmm. really, it, it just, I, I couldn't and believe it. This was part, this is, this is part of the sermon. Oh yeah, this the beginning. Is, yeah, and okay. throughout. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this went on for at least a month and a half, mm. steady, every service. Yeah, and I just I remember it grieved me like for a month. I just grieved like, but you know the Creator is something, eh? He knows, He knows the heart, and He knew that this was, and He just, and it was really His way of breaking that hold on my mind, that conditioning. And it broke. I kid you not. It's like a dam that bur- that burst. And because it, it it had to be that hard, and it had to be that harsh to wake me up and but, help me. Sorry, go ahead. Well, you had mentioned earlier, I think in an email or a conversation, you said that, you know, besides the abuse, which was so intense, that mm-hmm. he, he finally reached a point where he said, those of you who aren't going to get this vaccine, who aren't going to comply, are no longer welcome here. Basically, yeah. 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 And uh, my my girlfriend who'd had the conversations, she was so persistent about, oh, that's my church. And anyway, she ended up just in her persistence. And then I guess, you know what? They lost a lot of people. So the money Mm -hmm. factor as well. Uh, Last year, oh, goodness me, I don't remember when she went back. They finally said, okay, well, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, we, we have, they didn't apologize. They didn't really say that they're wrong, but they welcomed those who don't have any shots back. But you have to wear a mask and you have to get the temperature. The temperature. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, oh, thank you. That's so sweet. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So considerate. But after, no, it, it, after that kind of abuse, it's amazing that people would go back. You well, know, I know. But. They lost a lot of people. They mm-hmm. lost a lot of people. And uh, it's just, but I needed that. And, you know, the Lord, it's amazing how this creator, he knows what it will take to break that that attachment, the conditioning, and to break the dam so that you can actually, the skills will fall off your eyes and you'll see things for what they are. Mm-hmm. And it gave me enough distance emotionally, spiritually, mm-hmm. and mentally that I was objective. And uh, it's that's when I ordered the books. The, actual, the first book I got was, I think, The Esoteric. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a series of two. It was The Esoteric. I had that for a while. And when I realized what was going on, and I don't think, did I order the books this spring? The CDs and the books? I, I, last year. It, last I think year. it was last year. I, yeah, I, lose, last I year. lose track of time, but I think it was last year. Me too. Me too. It was last year, last year's spring or summer, mm-hmm. when I realized what, you know, because I kept listening to Alan Knight, and then I was searching. I went back to Jackie Petru. I went back further, and I kept searching, 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 and, and listening. But I said, no, I need a lot more than this to understand the, the there's so many questions, Melissa, so many questions. And now I was ready to hear it. Whereas before I told you in the email, remember, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the church I go to, they belong to a cult, uh, the gentleman or the man, I should say, his name is William Brennan. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm telling you, you know, Alan talks a lot about the Mormons and he talked about the experiment there in New York. Oh gosh. Ooh, I forgot the Oneida. 
Yes, thank you. Uh -huh. You know, and I remember... At what, what Oneida was, just for the... We can put this in for the listeners, but the Oneida cult, I, and I do not remember at the moment um, what the name of the actual so-called religious religion was, but the they were doing a lot of interesting things. They've been... It was uh, noise... John Noyes, mm. I believe, was his name, and they were a community back in the, uh, say, 1850, roughly that time, mm -hmm. and their belief was that Jesus had already returned. It doesn't really matter what they believed. It was a yeah. cult with, it, it had very unusual beliefs, but there were some things mm -hmm. that they were accused of, um, mm -hmm. such as their own breeding program. Uh, mm -hmm. Doing abortions if it if the breeding had happened outside of a controlled, authorized uh, situation. Another thing yeah. that would happen is they they were so specific about who could breed with whom, and some of the older women were taking the younger men up. But basically, it was like a grooming thing. Wow. But yeah. I, it uh, it's been a while since I I read anything and looked at it, so I don't want to babble on too much about it. But uh, it was a a very radical pro women pro feminist groups. Oh wow! Yeah, um, groups uh, kind of a communal childcare thing, almost like the mm -hmm. Israeli kibbutz type thing, where they had what they called. Um, I don't remember if it was, it was a type of polygamy, like a complex marriage or, it was free oh, love. It was free yeah. love. And this was oh, in the 1850s. Yeah. yeah. So oh. that that's going on. So, so all of these experiences. But when you mentioned to me the other day, mm -hmm. uh, William Branham, I looked yeah. him up because you said, and of course I, I didn't have time to really dig into it and go, oh yes, absolutely. He was a mm -hmm. Freemason because an interesting mm -hmm. thing was that I did find out when you said William Brennan is he spoke against Freemasonry, yeah, but okay. but often that's what you know uh, the, the those who cry the loudest are you are very often in the control of what they're oh. railing against. So exactly, like I, I uh, after everything happened, I was able, I you know I wanted to ask Alan so many times but I was afraid of the answer because I knew the answer would be yes and you know when you're not ready to face it I was not ready to face it but after everything happened with the church and then you know when I started looking and seeking um, through the talks and then when I ordered the CDs I actually did go online and started looking I just typed in William Branham was William, William Branham a Mason and I uh, hit on sites of people who also had been involved in churches affiliated with him, and yes, he was. Mm. He wasn't. Yeah, yeah, was it clearly? And just when you read his the real history of this person, and even within the churches, they call themselves like the believers, and you're not supposed to be unequally yoked. So basically, you can't marry somebody outside of the message. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. So it is in its own way, on a low level. You know, the breeding program, the the elitism. Oh my goodness, it, everything is just. It's a lie. Everything's a lie. So when you had been hurt so much, this experience of no longer being welcome in your own church, mm -hmm. was it somewhat after that that you said, okay, now I understand what Alan was talking about, the systems of control, or did it all just sort of happen at the same time in your mind? No, it was afterwards. Uh -huh. Yeah, it was. Uh, so that happened in August, and really it wasn't until, I'd say, September when the dam broke and then the mind started opening up and that's when I started seeking and just looking through his talks, really, really looking through his talks and then that's when I reached out and that's when I realized, oh my gosh, this is everything Alan was talking about. Mm -hmm. And then religio, the tying, the binding. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, you see, it, and you look at, you always talked about uh, religions and 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 really they all do come from the same root. It's all about control. Mm -hmm. so, it, I, I just don't thank him. <laughs> I mean, this the the one thing that I 
really appreciated, I, I respected about the way that he approached this is that I, I think obviously he had his own relationship to the understanding that he went through in his lifetime. So, yes. yeah, so some, so I, I think when some of, some of these concepts were more front and center, like the, you know, dying and rising again of the sun, mm -hmm. so, some of the more esoteric concepts would be in his mind. Mm -hmm. You'd hear from listeners who would say, Oh, you're an atheist, and you know, <laughs> um, you're bashing religion, and and I never felt that he was bashing religion, and yet at the, on the other hand, this is true. This is true faith. There were people over the years. There was a woman just a few years ago who said, "You brought me to the foot of the cross. I became a Catholic because of you." And you know, I would just I would say to him, I, I mean, I would be absolutely amazed that yeah. pe people are listening to the same talk the same person talking but you know yeah. and I think it's because all of us come to the idea of what is truth and the seeking for truth and consciousness from yes. different levels of understanding different experiences there are a lot mm -hmm. of you know the younger people and older people too but who were never given any kind of a religion as a child and so yeah but he, Alan said in a talk that I put up not that long ago, so it's probably been about nine months now, but six months, nine months, that he, he was, he got a, a caller who was asking him about religion and, and about how you arrive at truth. And he, he had such a beautiful, succinct answer, but he said, you know, there is truth within all of the religions. There is truth. Well, there and, is. And, yeah. And, and these, these religions that exist that were created for us as a form yeah. of control by an ancient mm -hmm. priesthood, they are, they are, can be stepping stones to higher truths, higher reality. And it's true. And honestly, without, I'm not saying that those who without religion cannot get there. I needed it just for the order of my life. And, um, how do I say it? It was, like you said, the, it lit the, it was the, um, it lit my path mm -hmm. and led me to, and it just, it was, it helped a lot. The, the structure of it, it helped my natural life and then also helped my spiritual mental life. And it prepared me to really come to consciousness. And some people can do it without. I, I do think that there is something in in a traditional religion that does prepare or open the mind to the idea. This seems very simplistic, but it is still as simple as it is so hard for people to wrap their minds around because we've been so atheized. But the idea that we are created, mm -hmm. which means absolutely. that there is a creator. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. But, and you know, that's a, the most amazing thing, Melissa, is all my life. And, you know, th the only way I can describe it is like, he's always been there. Always. I remember from since I was young, he's always been there, just in my mind, in my heart, always. Mm -hmm. That feeling, that connection has always been there. So it's not as if religion gave that to me. It just helped to order my life. Well, and certainly, even though that has always been there, if 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 you don't actively cultivate a relationship with, you know, I mean, because really, what are we talking about? The supernatural. There aren't words for it. No. There no. are not words for it. No. But if you and aren't cultivating, if you if you're not saying, I am here and available to that, then it's so easy to have a day go by where all of the weight of the world is on you and then mm -hmm. that day leads to another day and, and before you know it what you've yeah. generated is dysfunction and chaos and happiness mm -hmm. uh, and how do you relieve dysfunction and chaos and unhappiness well you, you smoke a joint or exactly. you, you, you have a drink <laughs> right or yeah. you get involved in 
pornography. I mean, yeah. or or you spend a lot of money on whatever your hobby is, you know, because yes. you what you're trying to do is forget what you're already in the process of forgetting. Yes, absolutely. And you're right when you say that. Now I remember because really and truly over the years, um, and that's what I'm like right now. I'm struggling um, to separate what the the event that caused the separation from all the years of good and to remember the good and to remember, you know, the, from the pastor right down to the pew, remember the goodness that was there and not, not to let just that one, what happened at the end, uh, cloud everything else. And truly that's the one thing I, I, I learned was to not rely on yourself, but to rely on the Lord and put everything, give everything to him and open up that channel of communication you know, through prayer, through however you talk to him. And and because this man, what, who I used to call dad, the pastor, over the years, he really, really emphasized building that relationship, building that, opening that door and, and knowing the creator for yourself, not because, you know, your husband, your pastor, your mom, your dad. No, no, he goes personal. Have that personal relationship because that's what's going to keep you in life and help you through life. And that's what really helped me. See, I, th I think what has happened over the last three years is that people's own, you know, so they have good sentiments, they have a good idea, and they may even have a pretty solid foundation. Well, this is how you do it. This is how you go about it. But mm -hmm. something unprecedented, as we have lived through globally, yes. is going to really separate those who have practice that and those who have not and yeah. so and and those who have not it, and i'm not saying it it has to you know look like x because it doesn't i don't know what it looks like for you i mean here mm -hmm. we're we're talking and that's the amazing thing about communication is we're talking about something and we seem to really understand one another but i i would wager if I was a wagering kind of gal, that you, <laughs> that your interior concept of a creator is very different than mine. You see, we're we're all alone, in, yes. and 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 that's a beautiful thing to be alone in your own mind and to be able to have your own understanding. But Absolutely. unfortunately, a lot of people in power said, and especially from the pulpits in the churches said, yes. this is how it is. And what they were delivering was nothing but fear and hate. Absolutely. And that is exactly what they delivered. And fear, you know, the, the cause, I, I just, you know, these are the same people uh, Friday night. Oh, you know, have faith. You trust the Lord for that healing. You, do, you know, the whole thing, mm -hmm. the whole verbiage. And yet on a turn of a dime, they're like, no. No, go get that shot. It's the only thing that'll save you. Where's right. God in all of this? Mm -hmm. Where is this God in all of this? He's not there. All of a sudden, what? He's not able? <laughs> the same one you're praying to about your blood pressure? The same one you're praying to about this? You're, you're praying to for this miracle, for that? And then all of a sudden, he can't do this? Really? Wow. Well, it's that six feet of separation you had to have from God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he couldn't hear you. He couldn't hear you. You know, all communication was broken. Yeah. He couldn't go over. He couldn't go over anymore. You know, because you had to isolate. Oh, it's so, it is so sad. But well, listen, I, I before we run out of time, we you and I had talked a little bit. I had found some music, and I yes. sent I sent it up to you. Um, yes. Some, you know, you said that you were born in Uganda, I was trying to listen to music that would have been traditional. And then you said, yes. and then we moved to Kenya. And so I was going over there and I, I found some, <laughs> to me, it was just beautiful, amazing music. And I sent it up to you and you're like, oh, that's great. And you were telling me a little bit about it. And I wanted mm -hmm. to just have a little station break, so to speak, and, yes. and, and put in right now a clip from Uganda. Awesome. Thank you. 
Okay, so wasn't that beautiful? <laughs> because this. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, but but when I sent you this, you were telling me a little bit. Um, I wanted to have you repeat for the listeners. This this was actually a song. I'm I'm going to slaughter the pronunciation, but so so was what. Okay. And it was the Buganda Music Ensemble. And I, I just, okay. I, I thought that was really neat. Yeah. But there was another one, um, and mm -hmm. I th we're, we'll listen to just a little snippet of that. I think it was, was this the Akaloka Buganda that you said was kind of like yeah. a country, that was country music? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think, yeah I so. Alright, so so tell everybody what this is about because you made me laugh when you were <laughs> <laughs> So Akaloko means a village. A little village, a little tribe. So and usually the villages uh, would be the tribe, the tribal land. And basically the young man who is singing the song is expounding and he's, you know, kind of boasting about his tribe, his Kaloko, the little village, and how strong and mighty they were. And how, you know, the Ncholo, the, sorry, Abachori, um, Aba, oh goodness, from the north, I forgot the name, the different ones, all tried to come and attack them. But, ooh, they just put them down to the ground. They killed them. They stood against them. Idi Amin even left them alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He's just boasting and saying how strong they are. They came together as a family, as a tribe. They took them all down. They stood their ground. And he's uh, encouraging his, his uh, children and the children of the village. You know what? Hang on to your, like, hold on to your heritage. Know who you are. Itaka eno. This dirt, this land is ours. And nobody can take it from us. Nobody will ever take it from us. And we will die for our land. It was just, it's beautiful. But of course, they put it to song and everybody's celebrating and you can see his traditional garb. And mm -hmm. It's just, it's absolutely beautiful. So he is one of the tribes in the Baganda kingdom. Mm -hmm. And that's why he shows the Kabaka, the gentleman in the orange with the, with the, he's walking in the hall. He's got the tall hat. Mm -hmm. That's the Kabaka, the king of the, the Baganda kingdom. Okay. And yeah, he's just showing off and saying, Hey, nobody is going to take this from us. Okay. But you know what's so sad, Beth, is now uh, in Uganda, the middle class, the upper middle class, the ones who are able to educate their children and put them into boarding schools, into the English schools, those children, okay, so the parents are born and bred in Uganda, raised in Uganda, mm -hmm. the children are born and raised in Uganda, they don't speak a word of Uganda. Aww. They don't know their language, they don't know their culture, and they don't understand what they've done. Wow. When you don't, Alan always said, if you don't have a language, you don't have your culture, you don't have an identity. Yeah. You know, my That's sister, it. my older sister and I, we have fought to keep. My mom, when uh, we were born, she spoke English to us. But my judja, the, the ladies who worked in the house, our cousins, we all spoke Luganda. So that's how we know Luganda. But when we moved to uh, Canada, because my mom spoke English, we all spoke English in the house. But when I was 14, my sister was 16, we went to Boston to visit our cousins. And that's where it really resurrected our Luganda. And that's when I just, I said, no, I've got to learn. I've got to keep this because just being immersed in our own culture and hearing them speak our language and how beautiful it is, you know, and, and celebrating our culture. I was like, no, I want, I have to. So I fought, 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 fought to learn. Uh, when I went to visit my mom, she retired and moved back to Uganda. 
and I went to visit her in 2019. And Natalie, the lady who stays with my mom, she only speaks Luganda. So it was just beautiful. Wow. So whenever I call my mom, I'd make her, my mom speak Luganda to me. And, you know, the Melissa, the people are so poor, but my God, they're happy. They're mm-hmm. so happy. Honestly, with their little hovel and their husband and wife and their children, their family, their taka, you know, they're just, they're happy, really, truly happy. Um, this, this Western world can never grasp that because we're so materialistic. And it's just like, and you see the pride when they speak their language, you know, and and just, in a way, you kind of have to grow up with the language to understand the the idioms and all the little all the mm-hmm. little nuances of the language but it is so beautiful and the country's beautiful and i was only in the city which is just nasty but it's just so beautiful there and it makes you proud and i look at my some of my cousins who've raised their children that way without speaking their language without knowing who they are and i know those children one day they will pay for it mm-hmm. Yeah, what what you're describing too is so it, it is very interesting to me because you you were raised under a dictatorship that was you know you came along after Idi Amin but Idi Amin mm-hmm. had been in power for a long long time oh, a, yeah. a, a strong man a very um, you know despotic man. But then the the current president, I, I I don't remember his name, but the current president, he's it, yes, and, he's, and he's he's been involved in, uh, I mean the the Hutu Tutsi, the Rwandan yeah. Oh, yeah. conflict, yeah, uh, oh. the the war, are they both the, the conflicts in the Congo and, oh yes, uh, you know, so this yeah. this is the the life of politics, and yet mm-hmm. on the ground level. It's it's almost as if you're describing people who are just timelessly untouched by this. In a way, um, my mom, my mom was a young woman um, in the time of Idi Amin, mm-hmm. and she was old enough though to you know she was grown, and she it was shocked me the one time just before she left to retire, we were sitting down talking, and that towards the end she'd just sit there and talk about her life in Uganda. And she says, you know, Faith, Idi Amin, they blamed him for so many things, but he was not the monster that they said he was. Mm. She told me, um, okay, yeah, you know, like like uh, Saddam Hussein, like uh, Gaddafi. Yeah, they were, they were dictators. They were mm-hmm. not good men. But she says it was Obote. But Obote was, because when Idi Amin threw the Indians out of Uganda, the West turned against him. Mm-hmm. And then she told me that Obote, they rose up Obote, and Obote would go do all these massacres and pin it on Idi Amin, and that's how they overthrew him. And he and was. Then Obote came into power. And Obote was the, the basically just the henchman of the West. Yeah. So, and then he came yeah. into power, and then it was ping pong between him and Museveni, and then now Museveni is the one who's in power. For like 35 Obote. years. Yeah. Yeah. It was Obote who really was the was the one, the henchman that the Western world used to get rid of it, Amin. And they had to get rid of Gaddafi because he did help Amini. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Amin, Amini said, he goes, how, how is it in my country that my people, like these, you get these foreigners who come in, own more land and own all the businesses and my people have nothing. He goes, no, get out. And that's how we got rid of them. Mm-hmm. He, same as Saddam, he did it for us. Mm-hmm. But there's another, um, you know, there's another puzzle for me. And I want you to talk a little bit the other day that you were telling me about uh, one of your cousins, I think, who basically, if he hadn't been Canadian, would have just been uh, immediately eliminated. And the other thing, too, 
Uh, I was telling you about what had happened to my brother with the eye surgery and the fact that they, you know, basically yes. just held him up and said, you know, no, sorry, but it's $7,500 uh, $7, yes. or you get nothing. Um, yes. And you said, you said, talk about a banana republic. You said, this is what it would be like, you know. In, yeah. yeah. So, mm -hmm. so the, this is a dichotomy of this kind of corruption and yet people living in poverty and being happy. And I just want to hear yeah. your thoughts about this. You know, it's it's something because my cousin, uh, they live in London. So he'd gone, they'd gone back to Uganda for a little bit. I guess I don't know how long they were living there. And uh, he was part of, he was a radio show host. And they would just talk about politics and how corrupt the Ugandan government, like Bobby Wine. Right. Um, so they talk about the corruption of the Museveni dynasty. Bobby Wine is a, Bobby Wine, uh, maybe I'll play a little clip of Bobby Wine, but hip hop and, and reggae. Make yeah, uh-huh. Yes, and yes. he's he's huge. I think mm, somebody yeah. somebody said he was Uganda's Jay Z, and he said yes. He's, I think he's, he said he said, well, I'm a little more than that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's so he's huge, but he's now a politician. Sin. Let the people know the truth, sin. And when we survive in the ghetto, man. You know, I was thinking about it after I sent it to you. And, you know, <laughs> here's Alan. In the, just in the back of the mind, I remember he always said, you know, the, you know, the op nothing's ever as it seems. Let's just leave it there. Mm -hmm. Nothing is ever as it seems. So although... It looks really, really good, but nothing is ever as it seems. You always have that in the back of the mind. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless. <laughs> right. So my cousin, yeah, my cousin, he, uh, so yeah, he's talking and he's, you know, talk, they're talking about this dynasty and how, uh, so Museveni has his own tribe. So he doesn't, we all have different tribes. So he will do more for his own people and then trickle everything out. Kampala, you know, at one time Uganda was way ahead of Kenya. And now Kenya, I think, is like almost just behind um, in development behind South Africa. Mm -hmm. Kenya is like the, the the pearl of Africa, where Uganda used to be. And I was shocked. My sister kept telling me, "Faith, there are no streetlights in Kampala, and that's the capital city of Uganda." And so when you land in the airport and you drive out, wow, it looks really nice. They built this new road. <laughs> you hit a certain point, it goes black. <laughs> wow. The roads are like you know. Banana Republic, there are no streetlights at all in the city because he's taken the money and just uses it for whatever he wants. No development. The city has not been developed since I think the 70s. And uh, one of my cousin's drivers was telling me that Kampala was built for, oh Lord, maybe less than a million. There are like 14 million people crammed in that city. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And a lot of that is because these big corporations from here the west they come in they say to the farmers the, and this is ancestor land ancestor land going back thousands of years yeah um i remember years ago that rick one of the callers uh, to alan's show on rbn he had said how uganda was one of the biggest uh, pharmaceutical test gr test grounds in africa and that i believe if i'm not wrong he had mentioned something about aids being sent out through, uh, out of Uganda, anyhow, but a lot of it, a lot of it was, is through Uganda. That's very interesting. Is it sad? Yeah. And we lost, honest to God, Melissa, we lost a generation, um, of like parents. We lost a generation. What was it, in the eighties? I believe it was. We lost cousins, uncles, aunts. We lost a whole generation. So the grandparents had to raise the children. Wow. It's so sad. And it was no doing of their own. Wow. It was the shots, it's and everything, you know? My uncle on my dad's side, we have our oral history over a thousand years. Really? We can trace back our lineage a thousand years. That is amazing. So, How where is yeah. this reposited? Who's got the oral history? This my one of my his great uncles. Oh. And yeah, he, he, he actually sat down with a gentleman. But he was able to make notes, but one of his 
uncle stole it. So you know how it is. Yeah. Trying to, yeah, because my uncle made notes and this man went and stole it. So he's trying to get that back. But uh, he has, he knows enough that he's actually trying to rewrite it and re-record it. But uh, so they, it's just crazy. No development. So my cousin, again, talking about, you know, just exposing everything. The one night he's leaving the station and the Maje, the, the militia, uh, they come with the guns and everything. And they say, you're going home and you're getting on a flight. You guys are packing. You're getting on a flight. You're getting out of here. And again, the only reason he left with his life is because he's Canadian. He's got mm-hmm. a Canadian citizenship. And clearly they don't want to, <laughs> you know, uh, mar or yeah, mar the waters mm-hmm. with Canada by killing one of his, their citizens. <laughs> and because right. he, he was well known, you know, he was mm-hmm. well known to the public. They would just, and his wife, everybody would just outcry it and they'd go to the Canadian government and it just would look really, really bad. Right. So that's how it is. Yeah. And then uh, in the city, they don't, we don't have police like how we have police here. It's the militia. I remember I was, I was like, uh, my cousin goes, oh, those are the police because they're dressed in fatigues. They all carry AK-7s and you've got the driver, the passenger in the front. You've got four in the back, open, open back. Mm -hmm. And that's how they drive through the city. Shoot Mm -hmm. to kill. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. It's not like here, you know. But then again, um, but it's always been that way. So people are aware because you know the devil and you see it. You mm-hmm. know the snake is right there. Right. There's no mystery. You know the snake is there and you walk expecting and knowing that it can attack you anytime. So although they're very happy, but they're very cognizant. Whereas right. I find here now, especially now, this is um, the government, like what we're, we've entered is insidious, like carbon monoxide. Because it's so well hidden, you don't even know it's killing you. Right. Like a snake in the grass, you don't even know it's there. And that's what scares me more than over there. Because most most third world countries, you know it's there. You see it. Plain. They don't hide it. And you know what to expect. So you, you know how to behave yourself. And, and you, here. you said too, the, you know, there again, being cognizant of it, you said that what happened to your cousin who was Canadian, mm-hmm. but you said that these kinds of things, I had read that, you know, this Bobby Wine musician, politician, that many dozens and dozens of his supporters, because he's saying we've oh. got to take, you know, he's saying all the things that people want to hear, which is we have to take the country back for the people. Yes. So they mm-hmm. just, they just kill him openly. They just oh, kill yeah. them. They're oh, yeah. dead. And you said, yeah, you said that if, if you were doing something that wasn't, you know, that, that the, the government did not like the government Mm -hmm. itself just sends somebody to kill you. Oh yeah. Like, it's like exactly what was going on when your mother fled to Kenya. Exactly. And it's never like, it's, it quietened down, but you know, you just poke the snake enough and boof, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but that's what's happening here. Wow. And people don't see it, you know, because it's so, and over, you know, in most third world countries, we're not civilized enough to have the veneer of civility, the suits, you know, we're pretty savage, mm-hmm. which helps. No, no, it helps. Mm-hmm. I'd rather deal with that savage truth because you know, you walk aware. Right. But here we're sleepwalking through it, a minefield. And every inch is a mine, every inch is a mine. And people don't realize, Melissa, they don't realize what the hell is going on. No, and I I mean, this is uh, an illustration that Alan would make a lot is that, you know, here the devil, he's wearing a suit and a tie, you know, and and he smiles. And he's got white skin. Mm -hmm. And that's what, no, honestly, I'm I'm not trying to be racial, but it's the suits, it's the, the veneer of civility, it's the white skin, it's the nice hair, it's all of that that blinds the people to the truth. When you go to third world countries, we're still pretty savage, so we're not as polished. Mm-hmm. So you see the the, the the snake coming through. <laughs> well, the you know the person in in the Western world once once the as you call him the savage, but once the the immigrant has been in the Western country for a couple of generations, they may still have the the skin color that is darker. But yes, the veneer, the polish, in other yeah. words, all they once they join the system, once they see the yeah. perks and join the system, yeah. 
They're just as polished. They're no longer savage. They're just a polished wolf. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. And that, you know, that's, yeah, that's the veneer. That's the deception. That's the deception. And you you see, uh, in American, yeah, and exactly. That was exactly what was coming out of my mouth is, yes, (laughs) you know, and everybody said, oh, we've got our first black president. And it's like, oh, really? Okay. (laughs) If you say so. I could never look at him, you know. There was something about that person. I could never look at him. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember thinking, you all black people, you have no idea. That person doesn't give a damn mm-hmm. about you. No. He's not one of you. You mean those he Obama phones were just a, a, a hollow gesture? <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. And I, I remember you and I were talking and I said, you know, uh, my, my cousins, uh, I had cousins who came here who went to high school in the States. Uh, from Kenya, uh, their family moved here, and they went to the to the high school, to the private schools. They went to university, worked, so they know, you know, the the race race issues and whatnot. And when they went back to Uganda, and oh my gosh, how they treated, like Natalie took care of their mother till the day she died, loved her, you know. Th- then the way they treat people, like nothing, you know, the Black Americans. If you ever, if these black Americans ever went to Africa and really saw the hatred that they want to call racism, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what? They would jump in the ocean and swim back to America. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you the truth. They could not handle it because here it's black on black. Mm-hmm. And in Africa, because it's tribal, it's the, in Nantale is Uganda. So we're the same tribe, the same people. Mm-hmm. So how do you mm-hmm. explain that? Right. So, yeah, it's it's hatred. It's really we call it different things. But really, at the end of the day, it's hatred. It's elitism. It's classism. And the classism in Africa is just as bad as it is in England. It's as bad as it is in India. It's really it's just it's disgusting. I could never live there for that reason. Interesting. Mm -hmm. It's horrible, horrible. Faith, this has been just an amazing conversation. I want to wrap it up, but I, I have a feeling that this is just part one of a conversation with Faith from Canada. <laughs> Thank you, it, it be It's a lot of fun, but I also wanted to share, because I, I just love this song. I, I found it last night. It, it's from Kenya. And mm-hmm. I think you listened to this too. It was, uh, I'll mess it up as well, but it's Safari Abamba. Yes, that's beautiful. Oh, it was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it might be a really nice. like that and if there is something else that you wanted to share uh, about the beauty because we are talking about what what you're talking about from your birth land and where Mm -hmm. you grew up unfortunately Mm -hmm. we're seeing a lot of savagery now yes around the world and this has nothing to do with with skin color it, no. I think I think what has happening is that as evil 
we've allowed evil to bear its fangs at us and we have yeah. not said stop and the, yes. it's just all out in the open what you're describing there in uganda you said it's out in the open it's out in the open they know the snake oh. is there so they know to watch out <laughs> well maybe there yeah. are you know there aren't a lot of people in the west who are watching out but it is here the savagery oh. is yeah absolutely yeah it's like the snakes on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, honestly, I could roll. Right, you just gotta arm yourself and be aware and try to, you know, let's say you lock yourself in the washroom and close, try to close off all the exits. <laughs> That's all you can do. <laughs> well, I am so appreciative of you taking your time and and being willing to share some of your life with people and with me, uh, I enjoy it. And I, I just know this is simply hour one of an extended conversation with you. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you very much for the opportunity. All right. We'll speak again, Faith. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Something that the world